0: The Growth Happens Dawn to Dusk Podcast with Matt Devitt. He talks with people about their journey, where they succeeded and failed to help others on their quest. We're all on a journey that starts and ends every day. This is when we grow between dawn and dusk. And now, your
1: host, Matt Devitt. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Growth Happens Dawn to Dusk Podcast. This is Matt Devitt bringing you another episode, a fantastic episode, I might add, another episode with Frank Walsh this week. So we get into talking about coaching as well as how he started into engineering in a technical field and then became more of an orchestrator of subject matter experts and then how that led into leadership coaching and all of that culminated in him being the founder of Dalen Development which he's very happy to run right now. He's got a fantastic video series that he's putting out as well on leadership. So before we get into that, definitely, if you guys are enjoying this, please like, share, subscribe, look me up uh, across the interwebs as I like to call them. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram is where I am most active at this point in time. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Frank Walsh, thank you very much for coming on to my podcast. Really enjoy you making your way onto the Growth Happens Dawn to Dusk podcast. So thank you for being on. Yeah, my, my pleasure. So quick introduction for those who don't know Frank. He and I have crossed paths a couple of different times um, in the cement industry, different roles, so on and so forth through the years. Uh, spent a good amount of his time at FLS, uh, Bridge Gap now, and has also done a lot of leadership training within Creative Energy Options and is now the founder of the uh, Dalen Development. So, Frank, when people ask you, with all of that background, you know, what do you do? What, what's your standard elevator pitch that you that you give people?
0: I love it when I'm uh, talking to people about Dalen Development, and and they look at the business card and it says coaching, and they say something like, well, "What does that mean?" It's always a fun question to try to answer, right? Uh, I say that it's It's my job and our job to help individuals achieve the highest level they can by understanding themselves to the to the best possible level and by understanding themselves, being able to understand others, and by understanding others being able to help those
1: people achieve
0: the highest possible
1: level of performance. Definitely a Does good that make sense? good makes sense. Pitch. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a good. That's a good pitch. You basically uh, try to find a way to help people and uh, help them get the most out of whatever it is they're trying to do in their own potential. I mean, that's, that's what a coach is supposed to do, right?
0: Yeah, we strongly believe that it's it's all about relationships and and all about behavior and communication. And, you know, we really we really want to help people understand the roots of their own behaviors and how those impact others. And a lot of times that's not so easy to do. It takes uh you have to scratch away some scabs to really get at what's
1: going on. It's the uh it's the question behind the question, right? It's the uh the Toyota 5 ys kind of idea, I think. At least yeah, as, very, as, as an engineer,
0: that's the way I hear Very it. much so. Yeah, very much so. You can you can definitely apply uh lean principles to to this sort of thing because a lot of people, I think there's a lot of managers and leaders running around out there that have what they what they believe to be uh, a good level of self awareness, and sometimes that may or may not be true. They may be aware, um, but I always find, or not not always, but I often find that they may not understand the roots
1: of their behavior.
0: So even though they know what they are, they don't know why they are.
1: Interesting. Yeah, very interesting to to pick that apart, and and. Kind of with that note, it's it's interesting. So you and I have been talking back and forth on LinkedIn, and you were giving me some great constructive feedback with regards to my podcast. And I think what I'd like to do is if we can split this conversation that we have. The first half, I'd really be interested in your path. So, you know, you started in engineering, but now you're doing a lot of coaching. Um, You know, you could even, I guess, maybe I would call it kind of like talent development or maybe um developing people's potential. And then yeah. maybe the other half we can maybe mix that in is, you know, the the feedback that you gave me on the podcast, you know, how to keep things focused, um, conversationally, how to get the most out of that conversation. I think with you being a coach and having a lot of those one on one conversations, that would be really helpful and, and I'm gonna be selfish. I'm gonna try to learn as much as I can about this. But I think a lot of first time podcasters would probably get a lot out of that topic. And so that's just that's just the way I want to frame it so starting with your you know path um most of it was engineering i mean that's frankly how the two of us know each other um when we passed was the technical field how did you get started into engineering what did that look like for you you know in the beginning why'd you go that route
0: i think uh some of us probably realize early on that we're we're born engineers maybe uh the classic model right of taking things apart and putting them back together uh, i was always involved in that sort of stuff. So when it came time to look at at how to continue my education, there weren't many questions that that was going to be the way it was going to go. So uh, yeah, attended university quite a, quite a long time ago and uh, became an engineer. Uh, spent a little bit of time in the nuclear power industry early on uh, with terrible timing since, uh, you know, not a, there hasn't been a new nuclear power plant built since the in the U.S. since the TMI incident, so uh, the company that I worked for, that I started working for, was one of the largest AES in the in the country for nuclear power, and they no longer exist. Uh, <laughs> and went from there to cement, and um, started working at FL Smith, and became a professional engineer at one point in time, and worked my way up through various parts of the engineering organization at
1: FLS. Gotcha, so it was really, uh, I think you're right, it's the atypical, um, took things apart, probably asked uh, why enough times to drive your parents crazy and uh, you happen to probably have an aptitude towards, you know, the what they call the STEM now, but you know, probably math and sciences as you were coming up. So with the, or go ahead, sorry.
0: No, yeah, I certainly did. Uh, at the same time, I also maybe was a little bit atypical in that I also always had a strong bent towards the arts. So while I was strong in in the math and sciences, uh, I also you know participated in a lot of you, you you know a lot of art curriculum kinds of things even even through high school and music and and play and photography and fine arts, et cetera. So I've always felt that was an important part of who I was, which isn't necessarily typical for a lot of engineers.
1: Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment to have uh, somewhat of a creative neck. Did you find a way to maintain that creativity as you you know continued on your career path as engineering?
0: Yeah, I think uh, like a lot of engineers, especially earlier in my career, I maybe turned my back on it a little bit because I was focused on work and being the best I could be and uh, learning as much as I could learn. And of, course, of course, learning is a creative activity in itself, but I didn't really spend much time feeding that flame. Uh, and it was probably the second half of my my career at FLS that I started to really realize the importance of that again and actually see it as an advantage, right, as a competitive advantage for myself that I could uh, think and act more creatively than a lot of people could. And then I started to look for ways to fan fan those flames and build that creativity up outside of the discipline of engineering, spending more time outside the engineering discipline. And for me, Today that's primarily photography uh but dabble in some other things as well,
1: yeah, I think that's important to find some other ways to uh not only find hobbies, but it is interesting on how um a hobby you know for lack of a word like your photography probably comes into play in the way you literally view you know a problem when you're standing on site or doing like that just because you do have this again literally other lens that you've been looking through and uh you can apply it here that's that's i think there's a lot of value in that for sure
0: yeah i got really obsessed with with problem solving and innovation through various stages of my work as an engineer and as an engineering leader and and that really became what i thought was what i what i best led to the engineering group was that ability to think creatively and problem-solve creatively and when you start to do that you just are looking you get so hungry for inspiration you're looking everywhere for it uh you just start to put your the you put antennas up and you're getting signals from everywhere that you try to use you try to see how they're related right you look start to look for how everything is connected
1: yeah, exactly. There's a there's a common thread out there, and you're just trying to figure out where it is, so you can pull on it and see what else, you know, kind of gets tugged along with it as you as you pull on that common theme or that common thread. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Con- Connecting the dots is easy. Finding the dots is the hard part.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, this, that's actually very true. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. <laughs> once they're once they're apparent, it's a little bit easier to figure out the interrelationship. And that's actually pretty interesting that you bring that up within a troubleshooting kind of process engineering standpoint. You know, until you can find the nodes that impact the others, that's the that's the hardest point. Once you know they're there, then finding the interrelations is definitely much easier. Yeah, yeah. So when do you think, as you're going through the engineering career, um like when did you really start to like it, but then when did you really start to with, uh, get into the coaching portion? Like when did that pique your interest? Is that about the time where you're... Where you felt like I have to start exploiting this or or scratching this creative itch.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of engineers probably come to a point in their in their technical careers where they start thinking about whether they're going to go for depth or breadth, and and for some guys that or some guys some engineers that turns into a pursuit of many different disciplines and strength across them. For others, it turns into a pursuit of being the the absolute resource subject matter expert for you know some specific discipline, and for others and for myself, it became more about uh, collaboration and what I could do in enabling others and and frankly coming to the realization that as decent as I was and as as uh, much as my accomplishments might have been rewarded and lauded by, you know, by people around me at the time, Uh, there's always somebody better. And and I knew FLS was a big enough company with with an awful lot of talented people in it. And therefore, I knew an awful lot of people who knew a lot more than I probably ever would. So um, it became more interesting for me to harness the talents of others
1: more of the uh yeah we were talking about this this offline it's it's fun to have a uh a role in the circus but somebody's you know there's Mm got to be a a ringleader a ringmaster for the whole thing and so that sounds like the direction that you decided to go was you know okay how do we bring these experts together to get a much larger uh problem or or issue or opportunity solved
0: yeah i mean you come across people that are just so brilliant and um it's good to put that in perspective and realize that there's there's always people like that out there and being able to identify them, find them, help them succeed, whatever you know, whether it's talent development, whether it's recognizing that that sort of raw ability in somebody who hasn't been recognized yet, or whether it's simply working with somebody with who has so much experience that you can just sponge off of them. Either way, uh, th- th- they're both those are both important things to help you realize what kind of a path you want to you want to pursue whether you want to emulate them and and have you know have them mentor you and grow the the way they've grown or whether it's uh more fun to be in a sandbox with a whole bunch of people like that and 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 help them succeed
1: when so when you made the decision to effectively not go narrow. Looking back on that, do, was, was that kind of a, a scary decision at the time um, that made, or was there just something there that said, "No, this is what I need to do"? Because I could see how some people might think that's, um, you know, kind of taken away the safety net because, hey, I've been getting good at this. Um, now I'm going to go and try to orchestrate people. Um, I, in, in Looking back, uh, did you have any emotions around that, or did you just you just kind of knew this is the path I need to take at this point?
0: I, I think you have to look at it in, in the context of the moment and and admit that, yeah, it's a little bit scary to, if you will, step away from what you've been successful at and, and try to do something different. Uh, it also maybe you know happens a little bit gradually. If you have a good leader, if you're working for a good leader, and I certainly work for some very good leaders, they will challenge you. They will stretch you. They will have you do things that you know, aren't necessarily in, in your wheelhouse, or aren't even necessarily expected of you, so that you become more and more confident with with those things. And I think for me, that was sort of the case, right? I got involved in some special projects that caused me to uh, have to work a lot more across disciplines, not only technical disciplines, but business disciplines, and and ultimately led me to working with the entire global organization across across basically every aspect of it um introducing me to a lot of different parts of the business and a lot of different people and getting comfortable with <laughs> with actually being able to you know work with a team that's outside of my own expertise and eventually then that yeah you, you start to quote unquote manage or be asked to lead people that that know more than you do and are smarter than you and frankly know things that you've, that you don't know uh, because they're outside your, your subject matter expertise. So you have to behave differently then, right? You can't, (laughs) if you're a subject matter expert who gets promoted to a position of leadership in the same subject matter, it's a, it's a really big challenge. It's hard. If you're Mm -hmm. a subject matter expert who gets promoted to leadership over something that you don't know anything about in a lot of ways that, is an easier transition to make.
1: What do you see leaders that are bringing a team together and they do have areas of discipline that they're not as familiar with? What are are some good ways either yourself or you've seen others get over that in order to still have a high functioning team, even though they aren't an expert or may know very little about um what a subject you know a subject matter expert area
0: it's all about trust uh you you have to to know your team and trust your team and that means communicating with them regularly it means learning obviously uh, not obviously perhaps but the best leaders will certainly uh do everything they can to understand what's (laughs) what's happening by the subject matter experts who who work with them i would say who they work for right because the leaders are working for the subject matter experts really and um yeah and just setting your your ego to the side realizing that your contribution isn't your ability to do the job better than the people that are that you're working for
1: it sounds like you are a big proponent for uh servant leadership from from the way you made the difference between who works for who as far as the 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 team members and the leader of that team
0: I guess I am I mean I have I've I've worked with enough leaders to see some some definitions of servant leadership that that give me the heebie-jeebies a little bit sometimes
1: okay. uh
0: but yeah from the from a pure perspective yes i mean i do believe that the that the leader's there to move obstacles for the people who are trying to get things done and to help them in any way that that he can by making sure that the that the objectives are clear and that the goals are clear and that the resources are are available and the right ones and and uh that the rest of the organization is where it needs to be. And, and so, you know, that's, to me, that's servant leadership. There are, in my opinions, I, the, the, the term servant leadership always sort of, yeah, be, and I mm-hmm. think that's only because I've seen some examples of it where people have turned it into something that I think it's not right. Where the, somehow the leader doesn't have, you know, any, any sort of uh of authority or uh, over the situation or any sort of, of uh directive role they're just there <laughs> to you know make sure the budgets are done on time and and uh make sure that uh you know people are are hired and paid and that sort of thing that that's uh, you know you can carry it too far in my opinion uh, you do have to accept responsibility as a leader for what happens with the the team that you're leading. And I think some people who maybe take the concept of servant leadership to a point where they don't do that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up with, uh, so I listen to Jocko Willink a lot and uh, his podcast, and it's definitely, you know, what you're talking about goes into his book, The Dichotomy of Leadership. You know, it's like you yeah. can have a leader that, owns too much, and that's not good, and you can have a leader that doesn't own anything and is effectively just kind of babysitting, and that's not good, So you always have to figure out where are you between those two, those two ditches as you go down the road of leadership.
0: Yeah, yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, talks about the difference between being a a babysitter and a parent, mm. <laughs> you know, yep. in his opinion, CEOs and leaders are parents, right? Okay, mm-hmm. that can be a bit of a difficult analogy to wrap your head around sometimes but i do think it makes more sense right than than babysitter
1: mm-hmm. and parents certainly serve
0: their their children i've certainly served mine for plenty
1: <laughs> yeah i'm just getting started with mine i got the, uh what is she now 28 months so so yeah, yeah that's wonderful uh, oh yeah 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 Used to me on my toes literally and figuratively
0: so I'm order of magnitude ahead of you. My, uh, my, my oldest is 26.
1: Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. That's gotta be not kind of interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, did, uh, I mean, okay. So just as a dad to dad question here, um, you find it interesting now that you're, you've got them to a point to where they're pretty independent, um, just watching and seeing if, if, what you did to, like if they're actually putting it into practice do you find that interesting do you kind of watch them with that um absolutely
0: and i mean and it's my greatest uh achievement if you will right uh andy stanley talks about the the only the only role that you have in your life that you're uniquely qualified for and that no one can replace you and is is that of a parent um that doesn't mean that parents don't come and go but y- you don't get to change your role really you, you are what right. you are and uh yeah and with with children you got you have it all in front of you uh but recognizing that you really only have especially today you probably got you know 12 or 14 years of of actual influence over <laughs> what kind of a human being they're going to be and then they're coasting right so th- then they're then they're coasting and then they turn on their own engines and start to form their own own direction and and they may still come to you uh they will hopefully if you've done your job will still come to you and but um your your influence is really over right you you've you've uh planted the seeds one way or another
1: so yeah that makes that that makes sense it's just uh Something that I, I I think I can get a a view of now only because I can see the way uh, my parents you know interact with their granddaughter and and kind of seeing me I'm like okay so that's that's something to look forward to in, you know twenty or so years so that's 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 fun to have on the the uh, the horizon to look forward to.
0: Yeah, Well, you know. Uh, parenting is a continuous process of change, right? And we all know what the change model looks like with all its little humps and bumps. So there will be a few Mm -hmm. along the way, Matt, but enjoy them.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, if it was uh yeah. You gotta have the good with the bad so you can uh you can realize how good the good actually is. So
0: so I'm looking forward to
1: that portion. The so when we talk about, you know, even just the parenting thing here real quickly, but with the the journey up to this point and you know maybe just getting into coaching and uh um, and starting your new endeavor but are there any experiences that you had and they don't have to be earlier in your career but an experience that just even to this day you're still learning from or has paid dividends in getting you where you are now um you know if you have one or two of those what did they look like and what did you learn from them
0: well, I'll take two, and 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 one of them was really in the very beginning. I mean, my first uh, my first position was also my first introduction to the kind of a leader that I'd call a coach or a mentor, um, and that was you know when I was working at, at Gilbert Commonwealth, and I started and had this this boss. His name was Dixon, and um, he took me under his wing straight away, and. Uh, managed me in a way that that i had never seen before you know led me in a way that i had never seen before and i always i was grateful for that from from the very beginning grateful enough that um, we stayed in contact for a very long period of time and he gave me a lot of good advice early on and i still uh, think about that i still think about him and i still think about those very early words of wisdom the um the second would, would have to be when I was introduced to the Creative Energy Options Group. Um and you know, I'll thank my I'll thank my boss and mentor at FL Smith, Brian Keith, for sending me to, to the program, the Total Leadership Connections program, uh run by Dr. Lafair at Creative Energy Options. And and that was really a game changer for me because it um It really allowed me to have a lot more introspection into my own behaviors and have a lot more uh, genuine empathy for others as a result. And that was a real key to me to unlock a lot of potential, uh, not just in myself, but in others, to be able to unlock that potential in, in others. And. You know, I I was so moved by the program, and not expecting to be, by the way. I went into the program very skeptically. I had already been through a whole bunch of leadership training courses from AMA, and this, and most of them were, you know, you get what you give, I suppose. But most of them are are if you if you have any sort of reasonable level of intelligence, most of them are pretty obvious and and pretty rote. Um, but this was very different this, this, you know, touched me at a deep level. So I, um, I was so moved by it that I wanted to be involved in it. And I, so I started to build a relationship with the folks there, um, with Sylvia and Herb and, th- you know, they were happy to to have me and I, I continued to learn from them for a while. And then I started to work with them, uh, facil- co-facilitating some of their The work that they do and and ultimately collaborating with them to uh, develop a coaching model that closely paralleled the the general system that they use for the total leadership connection so that's that's been
1: an important part of my development interesting the so the creative energy options what what is that for everybody out there if they wanted to look into it what you know what who i guess who would be interested in being a part of it and then of course what is the creative energy options well
0: it's a leadership program uh actually the the creative energy options is the company uh the, the the program that's actually that's been recognized for quite a number of years now as one of the top leadership programs in the country it's called Total leadership connections, and it's based on the work of Dr. Sylvia Lafaire. And she has a book that you can look at if you're interested, uh, called "Don't Bring It to Work." And the premise is uh, relationships and behavior patterns. The, the The premise is that we that under times of of crisis, <laughs> we fall back to behavior patterns that have served us in the past, and those behavior patterns are are built on family culture and crisis that have happened in our past or in our family's past. Sometimes these things, uh, epigenetics study shows that trauma can be passed across generations, uh, and the effects of trauma can show up across generations, and not to to get uh, psychoanalytical on you, because this is about business, not, not about, you know, solving your psychoses, but we do find that you know people bring these behavior patterns to the workplace, and they end up being counterproductive. We all can sit around in a meeting and see the bully in the room or or you know see the the wallflower or whatever it happens to be. but you know these are learned behaviors uh when people are under threat and when they don't feel safety, then they no longer behave in the best interest of the group or the team they they behave in what they think is the best way to protect themselves so uh, and if you look at the crucial conversations, the book Crucial Conversations, right? They, do they attack or do they or do they hide? Uh, so that's that's I think what made it so important and and why I wanted to be a, a part of it. I don't know if that answered the question or not. I sort of.
1: No, it did. Went, yeah, it was, went sideways. It's, it's a little. interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, it's all right. That's that's the way most of these conversations go. That's how you got a good conversation yeah. going. The, uh, so what's interesting is the uh, creative energy options as, as the group, um, but the the part that you focused on, it actually sounds like it's less about um, kind of the standard leadership things and understanding the people around you, but it sounds like it's more focused on you as a leader understanding who you are and what you bring to the team.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, you have to go there first. And and by really uncovering that at a deep level, then it becomes a lot easier to understand others in, in the same way. And to be vulnerable enough with others to allow them to reveal themselves, right? That's, you know, but you can't, you just can't do that until you really know yourself. And you're not gonna learn that from a Myers-Briggs or a DISC evaluation
1: yeah it, it takes the the conversation between the the coach and the the coachee i guess that's the way you'd say it or the player to to dig into some of those pieces a little bit and, and try to figure out like the the why you are the way you are that's that's pretty interesting because then you at least know who you are when you show up in the situation and why you do what you do um yeah could, i could see that which that'd be gives you the helpful. power
0: to change it Right. If you really right. understand why you act the way you act, then that that genuinely gives you the power to change it versus just, oh, yeah, I you, you take a Myers-Briggs and it says whatever, wh- whatever you are. And you say and you read mm-hmm. all those descriptors. And when you read those descriptors, you say, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> but OK, but what if you don't want it to be like that?
1: Right. Well, right. Then you need to do more work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's the person who, you know, the, the, like myself, I think I'm a, I know I'm an E from an extroverted standpoint, but, you know, looking yeah. at that, it's like, so am I always going to be the loud and gregorious person? It's like, no, you can, you can work on ways to be quiet, to listen more, to, you know, work on projects by yourself. You don't always have to be around people. Yep. So it's, yeah, yep. I can definitely appreciate that on how, uh, you know, it may say this is where you are now, but that doesn't mean you're where. That's where you will always be. That's that's good to know.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and then understanding how to move
1: is the tricky bit, right? Mm. Yeah, that's true. Because I guess you could probably do a lot of damage. Uh, I guess call it damage one way or the other. But maybe um, let's not call it damage. Let's just call it uh, a lot of time spent not moving as quickly as you want by using the wrong, let's say, you know, tools and skills that again a good coach could, you know, really help identify for you. Yeah,
0: I would definitely agree with that. You can waste a lot of time and you can also just go in the wrong direction because you don't genuinely, you're not, you're not really addressing the issue. You, you know, you're not addressing the elephant in the room, which is what's the root of this behavior. Why Why is it that you feel the need when the conversations get difficult to become louder or more assertive, right? Where, where's that coming from?
1: Right, 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 right understand the origin and then do something about it with with all the coaching that you've done have you seen this will be kind of a two-part question but have you seen um repeating themes or generalizations that you kind of okay this is these are some two or three things that are pretty general and i see them as far as dysfunctions within a leader and then the second part is is have you seen those things shift so you know 10 years ago Did you kind of see you know this kind of these two or three items that seem to be a lot of deficiencies were here and then now fast forward to maybe in the last two or three years they seem to be different so i guess we start the first one like where have you seen some of those common deficiencies that leaders have when they come when they come to you for help
0: yeah there are some pretty common themes uh there are a number of behavior patterns that that commonly get leaders stuck. Usually if I'm working with somebody, they're, they're, they're pretty good at what they do. Um, uh, you know, I have also worked with, with people who are having, whose, whose managers have said this person needs some performance improvement. So, you know, let's talk about how we can help them. But a lot of, more often than not, it's actually the higher level leaders who maybe realize that they're stuck, right? They, they've plateaued. And, and that's, there's a lot of uh repeating themes but the big ones for for most people who are in a strong leadership position already a lot of them are super achievers uh the super achiever pattern is is one that's pretty common and and tends to be rooted in in maybe not uh having the recognition or or being told that you couldn't do something a lot when when you were younger coming from families that had difficulties and and therefore wanting to prove yourself and that super achiever pattern sounds really good i mean who, who wouldn't want to be super right it's right there in the name um, right. but it it starts to become an obstacle when it becomes all about you demonstrating your uh worth right your value and um you, the, the transformation of that, as we call it, is a creative collaborator, right? When you start to realize that <laughs> your greatest contribution isn't isn't you, it's it's what you're able to do with others. So, getting people past that block and and getting them to admit that a lot of their behavior is is driven not because uh, the most common answer is, "Well, I have to do it. I'm the only one who can, or I'm the best, or it'll take longer if others." Da 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 da. Whatever. Excuses, excuses, excuses. The bottom line is ultimately when you admit to yourself that you're doing it because you want to, and, and because you feel like you need to, because you've got something to prove. Uh, and then what is that that you have to prove, and why? Then you're able to say, "Oh yeah, that's a silly way for me to behave. I need to uh, really." recognize and take advantage of the people around me. That's probably the most common one I see with with leaders okay. today, especially leaders that I'm working with. And then what have was you the seen second that? part of that question? I sort
1: of forgot. Yeah. No, sorry. I yeah, I gotta get better of of uh not canning uh questions together that are like war and peace. Uh um, the other one is have you seen that shift? So super achiever that you were talking about, um, was that more common now previously have you seen something new pop up as far as a deficiency with those um more recently or of a different generation i'm just trying to see if there's you know because of the the way generations are changing you've got the you know the x's and the y you know and everything coming through are you starting to see different different um areas where they need improvement or where they're getting hung up
0: it's a a very good follow-up i think uh the short answer is is yes it's a little bit The the data set is a little bit small, but um, what I can say is that I've, I've worked in the last couple of years, I've worked more with people who, there seem to be more younger people who are actually interested in seeking out this kind of help, whereas before it was Probably more people who were uh, well seasoned, shall we say, in their mm-hmm. in their forties or later. Now maybe there's some entrepreneurial types, younger younger folks, and for them, and that, this is reasonable, right? Th- that it mm-hmm. tends to be more of an insecurity issue, or uh, not wanting to hurt others' feelings type of issue. So that is, it may be in, in some ways the opposite of of the super achiever. Um, they they may have superachiever tendencies, but they're also um, coming from a, a, a generation where you know feelings matter a lot. So they get, get conflicted, uh, and they don't behave in in ways that are necessarily beneficial to either end of that that spectrum. So then it it becomes a little bit more about helping them find their voice and also helping them uh, realize that that you know others are going through the same things
1: yeah just will let them know that there there are other people that have you know made their way through the journey and they uh they seem to be you know doing just fine as far as that goes it's kind of interesting
0: yeah and if you're a young entrepreneur you everything you're doing is based on your your skill set and the skill sets of those around you and when you need to be uh when you need to be a subject matter expert and a leader at the same time that's a that's a different a different level of stress and a different level of challenge that that they need to to face, so uh whether they're like i said young tech entrepreneurs or whatever somebody's starting a fashion business it, you you see some of the same sorts of things, the struggles uh with with self leadership as much as with leadership of others,
1: yeah, when you were talking about the uh the insecurity portion it made me think of, so I don't know <laughs> if this is actually attributed to uh to Churchill, but he had something along the lines. That uh, when you're when you're 20, you care what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you stop caring what everyone thinks, and when you're 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you in the first place. And it it kind <laughs> of it, it kind of seems like what you're working with. And and I can actually attest to this a little bit. I mean, somewhere within my 30s, I started going, you know what? I I think I I know just enough to where I got this. I don't know everything, but I'm I'm not going to worry yeah. too much about what people think. I'm just going to start, you know, pushing ahead and moving forward. And uh, you rely on your own kind of experiences because you have more of them at that point.
0: Yeah. And I think my generation, uh, you know, most commonly you'd come out of college and you'd get a job and you'd be working inside an organization and you were, you know, you were not expected to to be a leader. That didn't mean you might not behave in in ways that showed leadership, but you weren't expected necessarily to show leadership, whereas. There are definitely i think more uh more people coming out of school today who are choosing to set their own path, whatever that whether that's gig economy stuff or or entrepreneurial stuff, but that mm-hmm. means that they have to be leaders and and they don't have any experience you know I mean, right they, they they have no experience in leading uh not even themselves, let alone others so um this is why we see a lot of bad behavior in some of these you know unicorn companies in my opinion it's why why you see a lot of bad behavior in some of these unicorn companies and why you know guys like travis at uber end up having to step down and they, they just right. didn't know how to behave any better than the,
1: right yeah that, that's definitely interesting and the uh because it, it sounds like the the issues that you may see are still the same it's the person coming in and so they don't have nearly the the experience to uh to help them get through that that's pretty that's that's an interesting shift that I'm sure is uh proving to be a good challenge for you to to work on out in the field
0: yeah they've never seen the role models in in a lot of cases they've never seen the role models so they're just behaving in a way that they think is right and oftentimes they're far off the mark
1: yeah it's interesting you bring that up about the lack of role model because uh if there isn't a buddy, anyone above them, I would assume that they can use as a role model, then their own peer group becomes the role model. And that's not a real good role model to have.
0: Yeah, right. It's it's an echo chamber.
1: Right, 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 right. So the way, so it might be interesting. So within your coaching, you're doing a lot of discussion back and forth, one-on-one, and this might be a good way to transition into um, podcasting interviews. So what are some good ways when you're first sitting down with a person, um, you, you get that conversation going in a way that they open up, um, you know, there's some trust that you can build there, um, just, you know, if there's, you know, either specific questions, style, things of that nature, how do you, how do you go about doing that?
0: This is uh, where the the background that I started to build when I got very interested in applying innovation and creativity in my engineering discipline really comes in handy, right? Because it's all about asking open-ended questions, in my opinion. The, you, if you're interviewing somebody and you want to learn something more about that, um, the mo- rule number one is don't ask yes or no questions. And rule number two is at the end of every response, uh, probably the most important thing you can say to them is say more about that (laughs) and then rule number three is get comfortable with silence right ask a question and let it just let it float through the ether until it's going to until it's responded to and don't feel the need to fill the empty space
1: it's very interesting the the pregnant pause as i've heard it uh, described many, many times. That's uh, that's much easier said than done, uh, especially for somebody like myself who can definitely suck the air out of a room if he's given the opportunity. Um, you and me so, both, right? So Early
0: we, in my career, that was my, my biggest uh, weakness was I always had something to say. <clears throat> and I, was, I spent more of my time thinking about what I was going to say than I did listening to what was being said by others.
1: So when you're going about that with the so the pregnant pause, the, the asking people to describe more about what goes into that um, or to follow up the question with, you know, tell me more, as well as asking open-ended questions. Do you have a couple of canned ones that you just, by default, you always go to in like an interview or the first time you sat down just to get things rolling?
0: I don't think I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh i might i i probably do without realizing it uh matt to be to be honest with you but <clears throat> excuse me sorry no, no, no. <laughs> so With <clears throat> may need
1: a little minor edit there <laughs> nah and eh, we'll leave it um
0: <laughs> sorry about that the
1: uh oh you're fine um the so when you get them talking and and opening up um you definitely don't want it to feel one-sided. Um, at least that's my perception. Like you don't want to, yeah, yeah, and I've been in conversations like this where it's like, okay, I'm giving you all of, you know, uh, the dirty, you know, I'm airing all of my dirty laundry, but I don't know anything about you over in that seat. How do you kind of reciprocate in a way? Um, you know, let's say they're not asking a question to, to kind of bounce the same thing back to you. Um, how do you start to form that, trust within that conversation while keeping you know the open-ended questions going and the follow-up and the,
0: way, the way i do it is if i start to get a sense of of where a person's going with their uh, with their responses and and where maybe their their issues lie i might start to get a sense of it and the old me would have said well don't you think that this is because of this uh, <clears throat> now what i do is i is i Try to use a story from my own past, or maybe uh, from my own past, pr- preferably from my own past. Sometimes it might be a story from from someone else, but um, you know, I try to pull an experience that I've had that led me to behave in the way uh, the way that I think these people are being driven, the, the the client is being driven, and see if that triggers anything with them, right? Gets them to open up more. So there are two things that are happening there. One is they're learning something about me. They're learning about, you know, my failures. And two is they might hear something that they can relate to that'll allow them to expand upon their story that they may not have realized or they may not have been willing to reveal.
1: So it sounds like imposing empathy into the situation to let them know um, and I can't remember where I heard this before, but when you meet somebody, you know, to um, accept, approve and appreciate the person for where they are, um, yeah. goes a long way in starting to build that trust. And that, is, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like, you know, imposing some empathy and personal perspective is a great way to um, close up that gap.
0: Yeah, you have to leave judgment out of the equation and empathy is is huge and and the more that you can personally relate to them <clears throat> through your own experiences, the the better it'll be.
1: And it's interesting that you leave out the judgment portion because I agree, you know, when you're trying to assess the situation and this is true with people and even with systems. You want as much honest dialogue as possible going on before you start to figure out how to fix it. So how do you start to give people that um, instruction they need? I don't want to call it criticism and it's not judgment, but, you know, they came to you for help. So how do you start to work that back in as far as, you know, giving them some direction on, you know, maybe if you started doing this, it could help you here. Yeah,
0: well, there can be some exercises some specific exercises. We will, I, I will generally uh, put put a client through some uh, homework, if you will, that's exploratory in, in nature. And it's really helping them answer questions uh, going back to the dots, right? It's helping them find the dots. <clears throat> and I don't necessarily think it's, even though they've come to me for help, I I'd never have felt that it's my job to provide them with the solution. I've felt that it's my job to help them discover the solution. And by helping them, you know, find the dots and then ultimately connect them, usually the answers come themselves. So that that's my role is not and that doesn't mean that I don't also take on, you know, I do some some specific business consulting as well, which is a little bit of a different issue, right? Where people come with a specific problem and say, help us find some solutions to this. Okay. that That's different than what mm-hmm. we've been talking about with the coaching.
1: It's, it, yeah, that is actually interesting because if you can lead people down the path, you can watch them get their own eureka moment. You didn't really have to tell them anything, just kind of, you know, keep showing them options or the path ahead of them and then let them get to their own aha moment
0: yeah and and the hardest thing about that for somebody like me is that i probably saw it before them and to not reveal it to them (laughs) it's way way more powerful if they reveal it to themselves
1: yeah yeah, that uh, it's kind of like when you watch the movie with somebody and they've already figured out the plot before you did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they they can tell you and that ruins it or they can sit there mm-hmm. and watch you find it at the end and all the, you know, excitement and joy that comes from that, you know, like the movie The Sixth Sense comes to mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, but anyways. Um,
0: no, it's very rewarding. One of the other I items.
1: Think... No, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, that's it. Yeah, it's very rewarding and it happens pretty frequently and it's, every time it's it's a a a great experience
1: one of the other items that we were talking about offline uh, back and forth dming each other was keeping a discussion focused and as you've probably been able to tell i enjoy a very wandering conversation but at the same time uh it's nice to have a very Focused conversation for you know not only the people that will be listening to this podcast, but also um, just in your own personal life or even business life, what are some ways that you know when you're coaching or you've seen in in your previous um, management career do you keep a conversation focused enough that you stay on topic but not so tight you don't allow a little bit of creativity in there.
0: Yeah, I think it depends on the intent of the conversation uh, as to how much creativity you really are, are looking for. And I think sometimes you, when you're having some important conversations, it's really important for you to stay on task and for you to make sure you keep bringing the conversation back to your intent. This is particularly the case if the conversation has any sort of, of conflict or or potential lack of safety in it, right? If you're talking to people about problems, then in my opinion, as a leader, the the thing that you need to do is you need to keep focusing on what your intent is in the discussion and helping the other person recognize what their intent is in the discussion. And by doing that, the odds are you're gonna find a lot more commonality than if you just both come at the issue from from your wants or from your uh, emotional perspective. So that's different than if you're bringing a bunch of people together to solve a problem. If you're bringing a bunch of people together to solve a problem and you're really looking for creativity, then that, that's a completely different kind of an interaction, right, which has to be a lot more freeform and flowing, and but but still needs somebody at the tiller to... <laughs> To uh, make course corrections and to make sure that you know it doesn't just get steered into the rocks, because otherwise you'll never get anything done. So there's yeah, the makes, very one one requires a very light touch on the on the tiller, and the other is a lot more strictly uh, course corrected, in my opinion. <laughs> and I really well, recommend in the in the case of the go former that in the case of the former where you're having that that difficult conversation i really recommend that you, that it's rehearsed in a way by you know not you can't rehearse what the other person is going to say but you can sort of predict and uh, and have some expectations as to what the emotional responses might be and prepare yourself for that and really just make sure that you always come back to what is my intention here? What is my intention here? What is my intention here? Otherwise, you get wrapped up in the emotional response and you fall into your own defensive behaviors.
1: Yeah, the the intention portion that you bring up uh, is interesting because initially when I thought about this, it was, we'll just make sure people understand the, the, uh, you know, the agenda for lack of a better word of, you know, these are the topics yeah. that we're going to talk about and you're actually going at it from the standpoint of, well the, you know, an agenda is fine there or not, but reminding people of this is what we need to get out of this activity and just always bringing it back to the, the output is what I hear you saying, just reminding them of this is why we're here and this is what we need to get out of this.
0: Yeah, that that's certainly a part, a, a big part of it. And, and and that can be true in almost any kind of an interaction, right? Whether it's uh, strife-ridden or not, you know, is yeah,
1: keep eye on the prize, if you will. Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the things that you've been working on recently, um, well actually not to go into that, even though I am pretty excited about this new project you've got with the videos that you're putting out. Um, are there any things, I'm gonna ask again, from a very selfish standpoint, um, are there anything is there anything that either I should do or you hear in podcasts that you go, Man, if they did more of this, it would really make the conversation better. Just, you know, generalities or you can even use me as an example.
0: Well, I think uh the amount of leadership Related content that's out there. First of all, it's a wonderful thing, right? There's lots of good stuff out there, and I I listen to a lot of it. I also have a wide variety of other interests, things that I listen to, whether they're creative or, or what have you. But I think one of the trends that we can see, and this goes back to the differences, uh, the generational differences that you were asking me about on leadership. The same thing could be said with how they want to uh, uh, to digest their information. And you know, smaller seems to be better, right? The long format stuff is, is is good. Long format stuff is still interesting and still has a, a value in a market, but it doesn't have the reach of, of shorter formats. Um, you talk to somebody or you listen to somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, then he does both, right? So he, he makes a bunch of long format stuff and then he And then he breaks it into a million pieces and puts all these pieces of what he calls micro-content out there. Why? Well, because that generates some really rapid engagement. It's something that somebody can absorb quickly without having to devote a lot of attention to it. And then they can always go and absorb the longer content stuff if they like. And this probably started, well, it's probably been around for a long time, but it probably really hit mainstream with the TED conferences, you know, you could go and sit and, and absorb all these little 10 minute, you know, 10 to 15 minute nuggets of wisdom that you could actually get a lot out of. Um, you're not getting everything. You know, some people think, well, all I got to do is listen to a bunch of TED stuff and I'll be super smart, but <laughs> they're all introductions, right? They all then real, they all require that you, are willing to go do some work if you want to know more uh and i think that's a good way to go with with content i think it works uh, across the board with any any sort of podcast or video content that's that's intended to be educational um and i think that you your you know your new venture here falls into that category right and it's exciting place mm-hmm. to be uh the need is real, the need is there, the, the topics that you're focused on, on growth, are they couldn't be more relevant or important, um, yet there's a lot of noise out there clamoring for people's attention, so you have to find a way to, to get that attention uh, and, and hang on to it. And you're probably lucky to hang on to it for more than three to five minutes at a time.
1: Yeah, that makes, that makes good. It makes really good sense. It's, uh, uh, I don't know why I just thought of this, even though I've heard Gary talk about it many times, but it's it's almost like leaving breadcrumbs out so that people will finally get their way back to like your larger pieces of content or, you know, a bigger message that you're trying to promote, but you have to give them breadcrumbs, small pieces to, to, to take in and follow along. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There is a reason why you see the explosion of, of, Video in inline video with subtitles, right? There's there's even mm-hmm. some studies out there that show that less than five percent of the video that's viewed online is listened to. So if you don't have right. subtitles, then people just scroll right past. <laughs> if, if a subtitle yeah. pops up, they might watch it for ten seconds, and if they're interested in that, they might watch it for another thirty. Okay, then maybe you have them for the rest of the video.
1: Right right yeah that's pretty interesting and that actually um that's really good feedback from the podcast and that directly feeds into the new project that you have going on with your short form videos that are focused on leadership development so why don't you talk about that a little bit and just let everybody know the the new project that you've got rolling out
0: yeah so uh dalen development has started to release uh, a video series called turning a new leaf Uh, dalen for what it's worth is a is a welsh word that means leaf and the idea of what we do is help people turn a new leaf so the, the video series is called turning a new leaf and the idea is that on more or less a weekly basis you'll you'll get a video that's three to five minutes in length and will give you something to think about and something to act on so it, it, it's useful information but it's a piece right it's not there's only so much that you can do in in three to five minutes to uh, to actually help people take a step, but that's the idea. So the first several videos were actually on the process of of uh, acquiring and digesting 360 feedback, because I think that's a very important place for a lot of people to start. So I broke that up into I forget four or five four or five videos where we talk about going through the process of getting the information analyzing the information digesting the information and applying the information so that's that's the idea there um it's it's a lot of fun to do you, you know yourself it's it's not trivial it's it's a little bit of hard work to put some of this stuff together it's a little bit uh, uh there's another level of difficulty when you're when you're dealing with video because mm-hmm you don't want to look stupid in addition to not sounding stupid. So uh, I had to get over myself in, in some ways with my own self-conscious, self-consciousness on behaviors on camera and just uh, let the content go and let it speak for itself. So it's been fun.
1: Yeah, that's, that's I'm definitely looking forward to digging into some of those pieces and uh, you are right. I think that was one of the reasons I chose, podcasting over vlogging and things like that as it just removed that that other technical layer of actually getting the content out there so it may be something i do in the future but it's uh it's not hot on my list right now so i applaud you for uh for taking the plunge and doing the video portion as well
0: i'll tell you the truth even bigger than the technical layer is the uh the self-conscious layer there's just something about putting your out there with as a talking head that is a little unnerving
1: i can yeah i can imagine i do the uh you know the selfie updates and stuff like that across the, right the standard right, social right, yeah. media but uh but yeah every time i do what i'm just kind of like okay you know yeah yeah let it go so. yeah exactly well, let w- it go i want to be respectful of your time we've been talking for just about an an hour here but if people want to reach out to you um how would they do that in the best interwebs how what's the best way to track you down uh
0: based on what i'm doing now the best thing to do is to go to dalen that's d-e-i-l-e-n-d-e-v.com and i'm sure you'll put a note in the or a link in the show Absolutely. notes. Uh, you can also find me on linkedin feel free to connect with me and send me a message i'm happy to chat with anybody about uh leadership topics, educational topics, growth topics, photography, general geekery, whatever.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Just send him a DM and he'll answer with something basically. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Well Frank, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for all the uh the insight and really appreciate it. So thanks for coming on the show.
0: Oh thank you Matt, I appreciate it. It was a good time.
1: Many thanks to Frank for being on my podcast. Really appreciated his insight on leading, being a leader, coaching, how to ask better questions to get people to open up and what he does himself. So, very informative. I really enjoyed it. So, thanks again, Frank, for your time. For those of you out there that really found this podcast of help, please go ahead and share and like, comment, do whatever you need to to get the word out there. Really appreciate all the support up to this time. So, as I say at the end of every episode, growth happens between dawn and dusk.